This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Yeah, more than well deserved. So since the second one, we, we, we were out to play and play and play in incredible level with incredible quality. I'm so delighted, uh, yeah, for the guys. And I have a thought for the guys who didn't play. The first thought was always is for them because they deserve to play and unfortunately they could not play. For Fernandinho and Sergio, that, uh, they are the players with more, more caps in this competition. And yeah, fourth time in a row. It was a nice competition because Arsenal united away and Spurs to, to win it. So it's more than well deserved, and especially the way they performed. So it was a good night for us to share it with uh, our people, the representing all the people who was at home. And, uh, and yeah, we are there. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. A delighted Pep Guardiola speaking after Man City chalked up their fourth successive Carabao Cup on Sunday evening. It's off the ball with me, Ross. Good evening, all. Uh, three guys here going to talk football, talk about the weekend's football. Uh, let me introduce them straight away. Arvin Sidhu is here. Hello, Arvin. Hello, everyone. Crazy week last week, but even crazier this week. Burnley scored four away from home. I know. Madness. <laughs> I, I, I want to see the fantasy football manager who had who captain Chris Wood this weekend. <laughs> and I'm going to say liar. Right, Nicholas Adel, hello. Hi, Ross. I think we jinxed the United Leeds game. Everyone was thinking it's going to be a goal fest. Ended up being a drab draw. <laughs> Everybody jinxed it. <laughs> Bob Holmes is also here. I'm sure Bob and I said that was that we were definitely getting goals at the weekend, right? In that game. Absolutely. And uh, I think Burnley deserve a place in the Super League, actually. I think, that, you know, <laughs> well Perez said. says it's, it's not dead. So, you know, go to Burnley. Well said, well said. Uh, tweet at BFM Radio. You can find us individually on Twitter. Also follow us on social media, BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. So the showpiece game of the weekend was the Carabao Cup final. Pep Guardiola, we heard at the start, Bob Holmes, it's his 30th major trophy. What an illustrious career so far. And and and, and the first of a treble of sorts they've got going this season. Yeah, and not a quad, but uh, he won't mind that too much. <laughs> no. no. I mean, he's a fantastic uh, manager. I mean, one of the greatest of all time. I don't think there can be any argument about that. Although people do say he needs to win the Champions League again, just to be able to say he can do it without Messi. Uh, <laughs> and I've got a feeling he might he might not do it without Messi, actually, but we'll come on to that later. But, but uh, this City team, Bob, they, they don't need uh, traditional number nine. They, they, they've been winning games without centre-forwards. It was pushing it because we were all looking at the, the clock running down going, is Pep going to bring on Aguero? Is Aguero? And then like they got the goal came. Yeah, well, he got, I mean, he had to rely on a goal from a centre-back. Um, I mean, despite all their dominance and mesmeric passing and everything else, you know, they still couldn't score yeah. until late on uh, a set piece and a big centre-back comes in and nods it in. So... I mean, there's still a quibble about this. You know, he doesn't like to play an old-fashioned centre-forward. But I don't know. I mean, they do struggle to to actually get over the line sometimes for all their possession. And they got by this time. 
But, uh, well, we'll find out against PSG uh, yeah. in the week. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Tougher opposition. But it was a stroll for City with a little bit of unnecessary anxiety in the second half and when you started to wonder where the goal was coming from. Yeah, um, a, a stroll, a, a one-nil stroll. I, I want to come to you. Regarding Tottenham, first up, Nicholas Arnil, did they, did they, you reckon, did they get it wrong with getting rid of Jose before a cup final? You know where was Jose Ross? He was having dinner with Portugal's goalkeeping coach, celebrating Portugal's Freedom Day. That was what he was doing with a smile on his face. You know, this, this, was, this was something that, you know, would have, would have put a smile on his face. And with, with Jose, it would have made, I think, a whole lot of difference. He would have been a totally different Tottenham side that would have uh, taken to this Manchester City. No doubt they would have parked the bus because that's Jose's style. But he would have found a way to hit them on the break. This first side, Ross, did not cross the halfway line right up till the 17th minute. And even after that, they struggled to make inroads into the city half. Um, you know, you can't blame Ryan Mason at all because this is only his second game in yeah, charge. Yeah. He's only 29 years old, you know, still, you know, a lacking in experience. You know, he tried to put out his best squad, but ultimately, you know, the class toll um, and it was evident for everyone to see. So, yeah. you know, if Jose would have been there, it would have made a difference, a whole lot of difference. Spurs would have probably even won it. You know, Spurs' decision to let him go I think was one of the biggest downfalls this season. And they are realizing it for sure. Yeah, weird one. You've got half of Tottenham rejoicing, and then and then you, you read some of the, the the people on Twitter saying, you know, they should never have got him. Jose would have won it for us. What do you think, Arvin? Uh, I I think I agree with Nicholas here. It's such a Spursy thing to do, isn't it? You sack <laughs> a manager who has beaten Pep Guardiola in a, in a cup final before. You sack him five days before you play. Pep Guardiola in a cup final. It's it's such a Spursy thing to do. And we, we've talked about a lot of things. It could have been the much talked about Super League. It's something to do with his contract. There's so much to talk. But if you're looking to end your 13-year drought for a cup competition, you go with the manager who knows how to win cup competitions. And this and Daniel Levy will look back at it. I mean, Daniel Levy, at the end of the day, is a tough negotiator. He's probably a bit too stubborn to realize it. But if he deep down, he reflects on this decision, he would have just told himself, I should have given Jose at least till the, at the end of the cup. After that, if you want to make a decision, by all means, go ahead. The season is done. Nothing's going to happen from then on. But I think he'll regret this decision. Uh, it was heartbreaking, though, to see um, Son Heung-min at the end of it. Uh, Son is someone who gives his all, but to look at him in tears. And you ask yourself the question, what does this mean for the likes of Son and Kane? Do they believe in this Spurs project? What's going to happen next? Or do they feel we need to go elsewhere to actually win something? So... It's going to be an interesting summer for Spurs, but Daniel Levy um, will look back and he'll realise he made a mistake on this one. All right. Yeah, I, I think that it just shows that, that Daniel Levy is not a football man no. because the signal, get, get, getting rid of your manager five days before a final uh, is an admission of defeat. It's basically saying, we can't win this. But if, if Jose had been there, he's got a good record. He's got a, as good a record as anybody against Pep Guardiola. And he knows how to beat him. He would have pulled something off. I'm not saying he would have won it, but he would have had a lot better chance than Ryan Mason, a rookie. And it was an absolutely shameful decision to sack, I mean, okay, sack him afterwards, but no, don't sack him on the eve of a final. Okay. I, I bet Levy was just afraid that if, if Jose had won it, it would be impossible to then sack him. I think that, that's, that's massive. All right. Well, well done, City. 
part one of, of the treble that the Premier League title is coming very, very soon. Uh, let's talk about the league fixtures. The Friday night game, Arsenal nil, Everton won. Uh, Everton gifted the win by a burn Leno mistake, uh, Nicholas Arnil. Um, you don't need that towards the tail end of the season, do you? Yeah, that, that's the last thing you need. And uh, I think it was a lot also, you know, you look at the, the incident which took place outside the stadium, uh, it, it could have affected the players to a certain extent. You know, hundreds of fans gathered outside the Emirates. You know, they hung an effigy of Stan Kroenke, the owner, you know, demanding him to go out. Uh, two fans were injured, one serious injury, the other, the other fan broke his leg. You know, these were all unwanted scenes. Uh, we know the frustration of the fans, you know, we know the, 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 that they were really unhappy with all that has happened, but to go out in the manner which they did, you know, and, and protest violently, not even, it wasn't even a peaceful protest. Um, and then you, you come into the match knowing that all of this had happened. And um, I think that sort of affected Arsenal's performance on, on the pitch because they were clearly uh, not up to their level best at all, you know, and it only summed up that Bert Leno had to let the ball slip through his legs. Uh, that was also a selection, you know, questionable selection for me because I thought Matt Ryan did really well when he played yeah. uh, last week. In fact, he had a hand in the goal. So, you know, to bring on Bert Leno, who's already, uh, you know, suspect to uh, clangers like this, he's already committed a few, uh, you know, it just sums up Arsenal's performance. But it just wasn't Bert Leno's mistake. It was the entire Arsenal team. I think among among the entire squad, it was only Nicola Pepe that was trying his best. You know, he was trying to get a goal. He had a bit of spark up front. If you look at that Arsenal midfield, they were just outrun, outshone uh, by this Everton side who are slowly building the momentum. You know, I thought they were unlucky to get a draw against Spurs uh, last week, but truly justified. You know, they put on a deserved performance uh, to get three points. Yeah, really sums up Arsenal this season, that, that result. Um, Bob, it was massive. Ancelotti needed a win. Uh, it was their first win in six in all competitions. More importantly, they're within three points of the top four now. So it's on. The dream, the toffee dream is still alive. Uh, just about, yes. Um, a big change in mood uh, for the blue half of Merseyside because last week with the uh, European Super League announcement, they were, they were out. They were very much not included in that. And they'd already committed to building this new super duper stadium for which they've got planning permission. And they have already spent a lot of money on it. And they were looking at possibly never making it, you know. And then not only that, they turn it around. That, that's, that's all over. And then they actually give themselves an outside chance of making the Champions League for next season. So it was a really, really topsy-turvy week for Everton. But uh, I think their odds, odds are against it. I don't think they can quite do it. Um, there's a, still a bit of a gap. There is only five games to go. And uh, Liverpool have got a, a, an easy program, actually, apart from Man United uh, this weekend. Uh, I think Liverpool have still got a chance. But Leicester and Chelsea are not faltering. No, so, that's the thing. Um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, Everton, yeah, um, they're still not really functioning like a top side, though, are they? Eking out the odd 1-0 here and there. Uh, so, I mean, Ancelotti has got a lot of work to do. It'll be interesting to see how much money is given in the summer for strengthening the side because they do, they do need an upgrade, no question about it.
All right. It's the first Everton double over the Arsenal since 1985-1986 because they did win 2-1 in Goodison at Goodison back in December. Uh, all right. Liverpool slipped up in their chase for the top four spots. Liverpool won, Newcastle won. Um, VAR affected this game. Um, Arvin Sidhu, um, Newcastle at the end of it, after 19 minutes, you say a bit unlucky, but lucky and deserved equaliser maybe. Yeah, it is. And it's same old, same old for Liverpool the whole season. Uh, I agree with, with Bob that they've got an easier run in than most of the top, top six teams. But the but front three you, isn't firing, are they? It's not firing. I mean, you look at that. I mean, four Premier League goals in 146 shots. That's one goal in 36. That is that is literally bottom three conversion rate, really. And 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 I was, I was just really surprised with some of Klopp's tactics. I mean, at the end of the game, he said, we needed to keep the ball more. Okay, fine. You needed to keep the ball more when you were leading 1-0. Why do you take out the one player who was the player of the match for Liverpool, Thiago, and bring in Curtis Jones, who hasn't played in six weeks? So that, that, there are some decisions that Klopp has made this season that, that are quite baffling for me. Uh, Newcastle deserved it. I mean, you think about it, when you get robbed by VAR at the end of the game, you still have character to go and say, we're still going give to it give it a shot. And besides St. Alan Maximan, Joe Willock is another person yeah. that has contributed yeah. to Newcastle staying Big up time. in the division. Yes. When they look back at it, they will say that loan move that we made for Joe Willock and St. Alan Maximum coming in back from injury, that is what secured us our Premier League status. But as much as Liverpool have an easier run in, you expect them to win games like this against a Newcastle side that were pretty much safe. But when you score in the third minute for Salah, and that was a beautifully taken goal, don't get me wrong, you expect them to build on it. The Liverpool of last season would have built on it. Yeah. The Liverpool of this season, very different. Yeah. Um, and and, and re- regarding the um, Callum Wilson uh, disallowed goal, they, they really need to look at that. I mean, it was letter of the law, right? The referee got it all right, but they really need to look at that law. Uh, bar Callum Wilson chopping both his arms off at the shoulder, I don't see how he could have avoided that one. <laughs> but, but Bob, I mean, it was a slip-up for Liverpool. Um, Klopp tried. He played Jota up front, and, and that didn't seem to work. I mean, this season, you look at Mane, he's off-colour. You look at Firmino, he's, he's, even, he's even more into his shell than ever before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you talk about the front three. Well, it's, it's a front one, isn't it? Salah yeah, it's just is still Salah, delivering. Yeah. He's still got his 20-odd goals. I mean, he took his, uh, his goal superbly. I still don't think he's quite as exciting as he was two years ago, that, that season when, you know, everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. Uh, but he is delivering, and that's the sign of a great player. Not quite at his best, but still giving you 20 goals a season and having no support alongside uh, yeah, Mane and Firmino. I mean, how many times? I can understand Klopp staying loyal to them because they've been great servants over the past two or three years. But there comes a point when you have to decide they're no longer delivering. Mm. I mean, you think because they're great players, because they've always done it in the past, you think, well, yeah, next game, you know, it'll go for them. They've not quite at their best you know it's not quite going for them but next game next game and it keeps on and you've just about gone through the entire season and they've not done it they've only got half a dozen goals between them 
and we're talking about two top international strikers for a club that was world and European champions. Reigning champions. Reigning champions. Still reigning champions. Exactly. I mean, so he, I think, yeah, now he will admit he's, He's stuck with I by them too long. So, so you, you you're and, saying big splash in transfer market required for Liverpool in summer? Yes, they they've got to get a striker. I've mentioned that before on here. I think Danny Ings would be worth a punt, a short term solution. Uh, he looks the type of guy they need. He knows where a goal is. He's quick, and he's played for Liverpool before. I think for a smallish fee which is the sort of fee they like paying. They don't like to pay huge fees, apart from Van Dijk. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it would be an astute signing. Danny Ings, just just the kind of guy they need. Need somebody to put the ball in the net. I mean, yeah. it really is quite baffling uh, <laughs> now. And, and it's obviously not just bad luck. They've had bad luck, but it's more than that now. You can see that. All right. Mo Salah's goal was Liverpool's first first half goal at home in 2021 quite extraordinary uh, we're going into our first break of this program stay tuned back with more they are off and running in 2021 off the ball on bfm 89.9 well the rules have been clarified and and they've looked to to balance things fair in a fairer fashion off the ball on BFM 89.9. And here we are, Bob Holmes, Nicholas Arnil and Arvin Sidhu on a Monday evening looking back at the weekend's football. Um, West Ham Chelsea was always going to be tasty. We had a lot to say about that game uh, on the Friday show. Um, but uh, it was yet another game where VAR reared its ugly head. <laughs> Uh, the, the follow through. This is the first for VAR. There are many firsts this, this season for our beloved VAR, but it's the first time that an actual follow through to a clearance has been deemed a straight red card, Nicholas Arnold. Poor Balbuena. Do you reckon he'll get that overturned? I hope so. The, the whole footballing world who wants a fair decision definitely hope so. And you can see what David Moyes thought about it. He didn't mind his word when asked about that decision. You know, he just he just called it off as rubbish, and, rubbish and, decisions. Yet, yet again, when when the ref decides to look at it on VAR, we get to see the replay. He literally only saw the stamp. He never saw the passage of play that led up to it. Yeah, I don't understand. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> and, and it wasn't even a fair decision across the board because if you look at at the tackle earlier, who fell on Rudiger, that that went unpunished. So you know. If you're making controversial decisions like this, at least be consistent. You're not even doing that. You know, so many interpretations are always questionable and, and we keep going back and forth. And uh, again, you know, it's it's undermined uh, performance. And in this case, West Ham United, you know, no doubt that that red card uh, came uh, at, towards the end. But who knows what would have happened because Chelsea only had a slim advantage, you know, and West Ham could have easily found their way back into the game. So, you know, what takes the headlines again, but... Uh, credit to Chelsea. Uh, I thought they had the better chances. In fact, they could have won by two or three goals. You know, Timo Werner, for all his hard work, I think he's still lacking uh, that a bit of confidence in front of goal. Despite scoring the only goal in the game, he had an even better chance to add to his tally. He did not. And uh, Tammy, Tammy, Tammy Abraham uh, missed the sitter late on as well. But um, this was another three points in the bag for Chelsea and for West Ham. You know, it sort of derails their ambition to push for Champions League spot. 
because they were doing so well right after the Newcastle game last week and are two sending offs in two consecutive games and yeah they are with no points yeah um I, I, unlucky uh, let, let's hope West Ham get some justice because that was tough especially straight after that I think there was a similar tackle that went totally unpunished so Really, really weird. Uh, but yeah, for Thomas Tuchel, they're unbeaten in 10 across all competitions away from home, Bob Holmes. Uh, it, you can no longer say new manager, but Thomas Tuchel is, he's even got Timo Werner firing, for goodness sake. First goal since February. Yeah, I liked his comment afterwards. Um, a great sense of humour when he said, uh, uh, referring to the miss, he said, "No, I, I couldn't score two goals. That that that'd be too much, you know." <laughs> um, Bit of dry I, German humour there. Yes, it, it was a it was a mega howler, even by his standards, yeah. wasn't it? it? It really was, and it missed by by uh, some distance as well. <laughs> Actually, when you saw it from the other angle, you missed by a, more than a, a meter. It, it, uh, looking at the big picture, is that worrying? The, the profligacy. Um, no, I think he's, well, he's playing better. Um, and I think he is valuable. I think that pace that he has is, is actually, uh, quite a threat. I mean, even when he wasn't scoring any, you know, he's kind of broken his duck now. He's only got three in 32 games, which is pretty poor for a striker, certainly of his reputation, but, you can see the value of having a guy that quick yeah. playing up front like that. I mean, he does uh, does strike terror into most defences, doesn't he? I mean, he runs very, very quickly and he keeps good control of the ball. I mean, if he could only finish, then he'd be a, a, a one hell of a player. Yeah. And he could finish. I mean, in the, in the Bundesliga, he was tremendous. So I think... I think he's, it will still come. I think second season, um, I think you're going to see a, uh, a different uh, team over. I, yeah. I think he definitely has it. Fair definitely. comment. And I think with uh, Pulisic, I think he's the anointed one, really, as, as a co-striker. He looks tasty. Got a bit of, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's got a bit of pace too. And I think that you can begin to see Tuchel's thinking, uh, long-term thinking, how he's going to line up. And I think that... Uh, Tammy Abrahams and Giroud are, are really on the outer. Uh, they're not getting much of a sniff at the moment, are they? I think Kai Havertz is is going to blossom as well. He's slowly improving. Um, Hudson-Odoi possibly will be involved a lot. Um, but and, and again, a man with pace. I think that's, that's what you're seeing. A very, very solid defense and then very quick on the counter. I think that's... Uh, that's Tuchel ball for you. <laughs> uh, for for the Hammers, has it has it all gone flat now? They 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 chase for Champions League football, or or do you reckon, Arvin, they're finding their level now? They're finding their level. I mean, I think it's a, it's been a really nice story. I, I I there's a lot of sentiment that if Pep um he will win the Premier League, obviously, so right by tradition he would get the Premier League Manager of the Year. But I think no one would begrudge David Moyes being a close second because he's done a fantastic job uh, with uh, West Ham. On the day itself, 
I agree with Nicholas that it's when decisions like that happen, it kind of throws everything because West Ham is at home. You would expect them to lay siege on the on the Chelsea goal in the last few minutes. Anything could have happened. A bounce could have happened in a lucky deflection. Things could have been very, very different. But the one thing that was a big testament to Chelsea, that wall, that defensive wall that, that Thomas Tuchel has set up, no West Ham player was able to dribble past any of the, the yeah. defenders in Chelsea. Yeah. That just Solid. shows how well yeah. drilled they are defensively. It's absolutely crazy. The most clean sheets in Europe since it's appointed. So West Ham are feeling from an absolutely fantastic season that they've had. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Um, all right, let's move on. Talk about the goalless draw on Sunday. Leeds United nil. Manchester United nil, uh, an aeroplane trailing the banner, proclaiming two billion pounds stolen, Glazers out, flew over Ellen Road, because we know that is the way you're going to affect billionaire owners of football clubs with, with fly-by banners on aeroplanes. But, <laughs> but there, there wasn't a lot to talk about football-wise, Nicholas. I, know, I, I, I do say, though, from a Leeds United point of view, this, is, this comes at the end of a very difficult period. You had a win against Man City, a draw against Liverpool, and a draw against Man United. I believe that's five draws against the big six at home with Tottenham to come. It's good going, right? Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. And even more so if you look at the list of injuries that Leeds have had, you know, having to deal with uh, constant shuffles at the back, especially. Uh, for this game, Pascal Stroik, you know, has has been one of the stories of the season, if you ask me. He was because immense. This guy yeah. barely even played in the championship last season. He only came in towards the end, deputized. And here he is, you know, filling the shoes so admirably. Um, and, and it was a testament to the way that Leeds have set up. They had learned their lesson from the first game where they got trashed 6-2. Since then, they've been solid at the back, you know. Um, and they knew that this game uh, was, was very important to get something from United. Just to to get that, that morale-boosting feeling after the, the trashing. And, and you saw how they set out, you know. Uh, they weren't too ambitious uh, moving forward. Uh, they allowed United to have the ball, but they were very tight on them. Uh, Calvin Phillips was, uh, again, immense as the shield to protect the back four. Um, and I think a draw was a fair result because even United, uh, you know, despite them having more possession and, you know, hovering in front of the Leeds uh, territory uh, more, uh, they did not create uh, that many clear-cut chances and I also think it's because of uh, this this game being sort of a, of a date tie because uh, United are almost confirmed in second place. You know, they've got a huge Europa League uh, game to look forward to um, and Leeds, uh, you know, already safe. So, you know, there wasn't much to play for. And I think both teams were happy to just uh, settle for a draw in the end. Yeah, frustrations blew, blew over for Manchester United, Bob. Uh, if you read the press, Maguire had a go at Fred expletives and stuff. <laughs> I can't repeat that. But um, a, a chance loss, uh, they would have expected to win that. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they had one eye on Roma in midweek. Uh, who knows? But Nick may have a point. They're kind of clear in second. So it was, there wasn't as much urgency required. No, but uh, Leeds United against Manchester United. Exactly. No urgency. Walk the mean, roses. Come on. If they played each other at dominoes, there should be urgency. <laughs> I mean, this is really uh, ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I know the most of the players weren't born when this rivalry started, but uh, the, the fans know. Uh, the fans are well aware of it. If there had been a crowd there, they would have let them 
know what they th thought about this. Uh, this was a very, very tame affair. And I think you're right that it didn't matter to United. I mean, why didn't they bring Cavani on a bit yep. earlier? Yeah. Or even, you know, at half time. My 16-year-old I mean, son sitting next to me said, is Cavani going to do anything in seven minutes, Dad? I went, I don't know, son. <laughs> Exactly. You know, so it was negativity really more from uh, Solskjaer, I think, than, um, than Bielsa. Um, Bielsa was mindful of the 6-2 earlier in the season, obviously. But uh, yeah, disappointing game, complete non-event, apart from the fly, uh, the fly past. Um, and there's a bit more on that. Um, Ed Woodward, your beloved Ed Woodward, the Bless him. vice chairman, who's always already had a fly passed in his honor <laughs> earlier in the season. Um, he is rumored to have met the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, before the uh, Super League was announced. And the thinking is that Johnson may have given it his approval. Uh, now, we all know he's jumped on the bandwagon since and he's uh, threatening legislation against it ever happening again and all that. But there could be a story for Ed Woodward to tell there. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading it. Ed Woodward might even come out of it well. You know, how about that? There is a, there is a possibility. Hollywood <laughs> can make it happen. Hollywood, if there's one, one place. Um, all right, brilliant stuff. We're going to have to go into the break now. Points shared at Ellen Road. You stick with us more right after this. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty, and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us, Bob Holmes, Nicholas Anil, and Arvin Sidhu, joining me this Monday evening to look back at the weekend's football. You can tweet BFM Radio at BFM Radio, or you can find us all individually on Twitter. We all have accounts. Also, follow us on social media, BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Let's clear up some of the other football scores. There were some... Some crazy football score. I'm looking at Wolves nil, Burnley four. Arvin Sidhu, Chris Wood with a hat trick. Wow! Um, wow. They could have won by more than four. <laughs> Sean Dyche. Uh, ever since Des Corkill poo pooed on Dyche in Burnley, they've just come up smelling roses. They they they're scoring for fun. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I repeat, football world has gone crazy when Burnley can score four away from home. Uh, it, it's a battle of the two of the founding members of the Premier League. I mean, these are clubs that have been been around for forever, literally rich with tradition. Uh, but Burnley, yes, good. But Wolves, just abysmal. I, I, I struggle to remember a time where Wolves have played that badly. And I've said it a few times this season, there's just something about Wolves there's something about Nuno Espirito Santo. I won't be surprised come end of the season that he's not there. Some he he he's very low key these days. He doesn't say much. He, if you listen to his interviews, he doesn't seem very connected to what's happening at the club. That's something that I think Wolves have to look out for come end of the season. But with Burnley, uh, if if any of us can remember, has there been a striker that's put on a performance like that this season that Chris Wood has done with that hat trick? He was very very I, good. I struggle yeah. to remember yeah. it. 
he was not very even Harry good. Kane. And, and really he <laughs> put strength. He sh- not even Harry Kane. He, he was prime Harry Kane on the week, Rob. I mean, he he was just. I mean, the, the two goals that he took was great. And then and then typical Chris Wood does a nice head at the end of it. So Burnley safe and sound. Wolves worrying times ahead. Yeah, Harry Kane couldn't even. He wasn't even close to being the Chris Wood of the weekend. Um, yeah, <laughs> let, let's okay. Let, let's let's take a little bit of what Arvin said here, Bob and and Nuno Espirito Santo. Right, good manager. Did really well for Wolves last season. Okay, this season's gone a bit flat. And I'm thinking Tottenham Hotspur, managerial vacancy. Um, over to you, Bob Holmes. Uh, well, yes. I mean... Uh, he, Do you reckon it's uh, a good fit? Do you reckon it he, could work? It could, it could be. It could be. I don't know if he's um, Daniel Levy's kind of guy. Um, Portuguese? What but, more? Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> His agent is uh, Jorge Mendes, yeah. I believe. But something's gone wrong there behind the scenes um, at Wolves. I mean, they were spending money quite freely. They built, uh, they bought all these uh, players from Portugal and uh, built a side that was actually threatening, knocking on the door of the top four. I mean, they got into the Europa League and, um, and now it's all gone uh, pear-shaped. And there was a change in policy. There was a change on the board. And there hasn't been the money available. Nowhere, only a fraction of uh, what was previously available. And it looked as if they were just happy to soldier on as long as they stay in the Premier League and they get the, the annual 100 million plus broadcasting uh, bailout. Um, they'd be content with that. And I don't think Nuno is content with that. I mean, he's he's tasted better. He's he's got some good players there, and uh, I think the rug has been pulled under his feet mm. by the board. So I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, if he didn't leave. Whether he go to Spurs, uh, that's not necessarily an ideal fit. I think he's capable of doing the job, but I think Levy would probably go for someone like Brendan Rodgers. Um, Rather than uh, rather than uh, Nuno, there is a feeling that Nuno relies heavily on the Portuguese players because he hasn't had any others, has he? Um, I mean, can he can he do it without without them? That that's a bit of a question to be asked. But uh, Spurs haven't got many, have they? No, I don't think they've got. I don't think they've got any. So um, be interesting to see what happens there. But uh, a lot of candidates for the Spurs job. Uh, if you want, you could have a whole program on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even Gareth Southgate, I was reading, uh, he he could be a, a managerial move that would keep maybe Harry Kane at Spurs for uh, a season or two longer. Um, all right, let's move on. Clear up the weekend's football. Uh, Aston Villa two, West Brom two. Uh, poor old Big Sam and the Baggies. They were so close to getting an away win. Nicholas, I know late, late Villa equaliser. Chance missed. We keep saying every week when we talk about West Brom, they're all must win. They're all must win. But five left. I mean, they had to win that one. They must win the next five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was a surprise that Samuel Dice actually took out his team and chucked it on the floor rather than swallowed it. You know, uh, he had the sense to do that. Uh, but uh, this was for me West Brom's uh, own downfall uh, because uh, after Villa led, they had pretty much I think uh, were on top of proceedings. Uh, they dominated the match. You know, in fact, I think they had they had chances to kill off the game. 
but somehow miscommunication between goalkeeper and defender and you know Villa get a gift and and for Villa you know at this point of the season it's nothing much to them already you know they are safe you know players are playing for for rights to feature at the Euros uh, but that's about it but for West Brom every game is a do or die and, and the fact that they let this slip ultimately you know for me seals their fate because um, we we barely gave them a chance you know uh, a couple of weeks ago but then we thought you know uh, you know they may stay in it a big win against Chelsea and they followed it up with another win uh, but again it's performance like this which defines staying in the top flight and getting relegated and if you're not uh, focused and consistent throughout 90 minutes you pay the price and in this case it's a hefty price to pay because the price from staying in the Premier League and the price from and the price going down to the Championship is what uh, 200 million 300 million mm-hmm. so yeah I, i guess we'll have to say goodbye to west brom yeah um the league table doesn't lie uh, it really doesn't with five games to go um oddly maybe once you're deemed relegated you then are allowed to cut loose and 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 relax more sheffield united got a win against brighton david mcgoldrick came out and said afterwards that the the Sheffield United players are, are fighting for their futures at the club um Arvin do you see Sheffield United as one of, we 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 know that Norwich have made it back up Watford joined them in Watford. the Premier League next season as well do you reckon yeah. Sheffield will see a swift return are they good enough it all boils down to that managerial appointment while david <laughs> Mul- while while david mcgoldrick Mul- i wouldn't even call him mcgoldrick i'll call him mcgoldrick because he's the only one that seems to be able to put the ball in the back of the net for the seventh of the season uh, top scorer exactly I, i was reading a stat he's got more goals than timo werner Furby, uh, firmino kdb bale he's got more goals than all these players so it's quite, it's quite it's quite insane really um but i also found it interesting that he came on and said that we are playing for our future and the new manager is probably watching so he's probably not indicating that paul hacking bottom is going to be the manager permanently they might have someone else new who's watching but good on sheffield united i mean they played with some pride they showed some fight they showed that it's not a lost cause we we want to give the fans something to cheer about they've got some bright sparks in that team i think someone like ben osborne you need to keep someone like him in the championship because he's quite a gem for them in the middle of the park get rid of contract rebels like john lundstrom uh, jaden bogle uh, at right wing back also is a very good promising young player so it really depends on two things one is obviously the managerial appointment whoever they they do bring into that club to be able to bring them back up because the chris wilder boat has kind of sailed sailed yeah. see yeah. on that one and second is ensuring that they keep these promising young players and they've got a few of them Uh, they have a, they have a good chance but uh, again and i know we repeat it every week not to ball hockey hockey bottom he got a win that was probably the second most surprising thing after burnley winning four in a row so spoken like a like a proper leech out fan who loves paul hockey bottom um <laughs> for for brighton bob they they seem to be and we say this often when we talk about brighton they they're like a 60% complete side you know they they they're promising they obviously lack the firepower they could be so much more but you think with a seven point buffer between them and fulham they're probably safe right well just about but um they're going to have a few nervous moments uh we thought they were safe like a few weeks ago they had a little purple patch where yeah. they were even scoring more than one goal a game <laughs> but um 
now they've uh, they're kind of stalled again and uh mathematically fulham uh can they're in the best position uh two points ahead of west brom had west brom not conceded that goal uh last night they would have had the same number of points as fulham but uh, fulham are seven behind brighton with uh, five games to go so it's it's certainly not impossible but you're looking at brighton hardly getting a point on you um and i think they're good enough to eke out draws i don't know about wins uh yeah they've really got to address this goal scoring uh, problem but as we've as we've seen like with someone like chris wood there are people down there yeah. who wouldn't cost an arm and a leg yeah. i mean he's price has obviously gone up overnight after that performance but he was a bit of an underrated striker anyway i mean he's um he's a big powerful guy he he's got uh he can head a ball and he gets precious little service he's basically been feeding on scraps as all burnley strikers do um but i mean he he does know where the goal is and uh, he'd be an astute signing Yeah, uh, if they were prepared to let him go. So he's he's the sort of guy that Brighton need um, to keep them up. Then they could be a mid-table side because they do play some nice uh, football Mm -hmm. and they've got a reasonable defence. So it's uh, a little bit annoying for their fans having thought a month ago that they were safe to find out that they're not actually mathematically (laughs) safe even now. Nothing worse than that feeling. Five nervous games to go for Brighton fans. All right, final break. We will be back with the midweek fixtures right after this. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For this season, off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And here we are, Bob, Nick and Arvin looking at uh, what's happening over the, the, the midweek for you. Massive week of, of European club football, semi-final week. But uh, one more Premier League game to, to chat about first. Leicester City in third take on Ooh. Crystal Palace uh, in 13th. On paper, it should be a Leicester City win. They would have seen what ha- what's happened over the weekend, Nicholas Arnell. And, and Brendan Rodgers will be saying three points here and we'll, we've almost, we're almost there with the Champions League qualification. Yeah, uh, they've had a good break um, since uh, you know, qualifying to the uh, FA Cup final. So um, I don't think there's many injury concerns. In fact, uh, Ricardo Pereira is uh, slated to come back, which is uh, awesome news for Leicester. Because I thought when he joined the club, he's one of the uh, most progressive right backs. Um, on paper, it looks um, nothing points towards anything other than a Leicester City win. Now, does it? You know, Leicester City buoyed on confidence. You know, they've got Iniacho firing uh, on all cylinders, and he struck up such a wonderful uh, relationship uh, with Jamie Wadi. That that is ultimately got to be the most surprising partnership because we always thought that Jamie Wadi was a striker that plays on the shoulder of the last defender. And he operates always uh, uh, on, a, on a solo basis, you know, thriving from service from both flanks. But um, somehow Rogers has managed to get both these players playing together in such wonderful symmetry. And, you know, it's, it, it looks like it's come at the perfect time as well. That, that injury to James Madison and Harvey Barnes looks like a blessing in disguise now. And I think these two are going to be the main tormentors for Crystal Palace, who've been hot and cold. Uh, 
they, they're not too bad, but they've not been overly impressive. Uh, I think players like Eze and all had a lot of chance to, to you know, really um, show his worth, but he's also faded in and out. So uh, Crystal Palace, for me, a very ordinary side. Uh, I don't expect them to spring a surprise. Uh, it should be a Leicester City win. Yeah. <laughs> Palace are very cold at the moment. Um, uh, they've only won two of their last nine Premier League fixtures. It's a 3 a.m. kickoff. Leicester City against Crystal Palace. It's third against 13th. The fact that Palace are 13th, it doesn't matter if they win or lose that one, really. Um, all right, let's talk about Real Madrid against Chelsea. Big, big game. Uh, Real's... Liga title hopes suffered a little bit. They were held to a nil-nil draw on, on Saturday by Real Batiste. In fact, as far as La Liga is concerned, Bob, if Barcelona win on Thursday, they go top of the table because they have a game in hand. They won over the weekend. But we're talking about Real versus Chelsea. Real have previous in the Champions League. In fact, I think it's Zidane's favourite tournament, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is. Um, they seem to come alive, don't they, in the Champions League? Uh, all that history, 13 uh, times they've won it. They regard it as their tournament. And even if they're having a mediocre season in La Liga, they still can be formidable in this. Uh, so this will be the ultimate test for uh, Thomas Tuchel's defence. Uh, I mean, this is a Real Madrid side that has only just recently kicked into gear. They started abysmally. Um, but when you look at the side, even without uh, some of the big names, uh, particularly defenders, they, they didn't against Liverpool in both games against Liverpool. They didn't have either of the uh, stellar central defenders, Varane and Ramos, uh, and yet they coped uh, comfortably. Uh, they're relying on aging players, but they seem to rise to the occasion, none more so than Karim Benzema. And uh, they just have it for this tournament on this occasion, uh, on these occasions. And they're going to be very difficult to beat. They will be looking to get a lead. Uh, I don't think that these leads are quite as Val, uh, as important as when crowds are there, mm. but um, I mean it will be an empty ground when they when they go to Stamford Bridge, but still it's the home game, and psychologically I think they will they will want to make it count, and uh, I think they probably be favourites, and they they could win this tournament again knowing that. They'd be up against either PSG or Man City in the final, neither of whom have won it. I mean, rookies, you know, against Real Madrid. Real Madrid will fancy this. And I, th I think they've got more chance of winning, winning the Champions League than they do have of winning La Liga, frankly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Thomas Tuchel will be looking to make his second final with two different clubs in the space of nine months. Um, PSG versus Man City is another very tasty tie of in situ. We hear Kylian Mbappe scored two at the weekend to, to send Paris top for a while in a 3-1 win over Mets, but then went off injured. So obviously, big question mark. They'll be hoping they get there. It's, it's big. If Mbappe doesn't play, you've got to fancy City more. 
Yeah, definitely. These these games, semifinals, they're all the big name players that really will be the ones that kind of show their worth, right? If Kylian Mbappe is missing from, from PSG, it takes a huge chunk of what they do. And then on the flip side, when you looked at Kevin De Bruyne came back and Kevin De Bruyne looked like his absolute best against Spurs um, last night. So it, it kind of swings a bit more to, towards City in my view. But there was, there was that, of, Sorry, there was that ball that De Bruyne played. Um, uh, Sterling just did. Yes. I don't think he knew that it would have got to him, but it was perfect for his right foot, wasn't it? Exactly, it was. Crazy uh, stuff. And, it's crazy stuff. It's some some of his some of his passing is just kind of defying gravity when I look at it. But the only time I can remember probably a better passing in his prime was probably Zidane back then. Yeah. But um, yeah, Pep has come out post the the and this is what makes Pep such a good manager. We talked about him earlier, right? He's come up post the Carabao Cup and said that now the real the most important competition is ahead of us, and he knows it's the Champions League. I think he's got huge motivation this year to get it. He can go on autopilot in the league. He can afford to lose. When we talked about how he lost in between the two legs of Borussia Dortmund, he lost to Leeds. He could yeah. afford to do it. Yeah. He can afford to lose this coming weekend when before he goes and plays Paris again. Paris and Germain cannot because they are in a league where it's still quite competitive with Lille and Lyon. So it's going to make fascinating watch. I think these are two ties that are really the cream of the crop of European football. And I'm looking forward to seeing watching both of them. Yeah, but Pep Guardiola against Maurizio Pochettino. Thursday, 3 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Europa League action. Villarreal against Arsenal is the Unai Emery derby. Nicholas Arnil. <laughs> Which Arsenal's going to turn up, though? That's the question. Surely they, they must know the importance of this one. Maybe the erratic league form is because they're concentrating on the Europa so much. Yeah, and it's the same for Villarreal as well. You know, they've been amazing in the Europa League uh, thanks to Unai Emery's uh, excellent uh, record, you know, winning it uh, how many times? I think it was three back-to-back titles uh, uh, with Sevilla. And, and they've done really well this season as well. You know, they've uh, comprehensively beaten so many teams uh, en route to the semifinals, um, even though they're not doing really well in, in the league. So it's, it's really a fascinating tie if you look at it. Arsenal are one of the few teams who emerged from the group stage with a 100% record. Uh, and it's always the case when they do well in the Europa League, uh, they, they seem to falter in the following uh, match in the Premier League. So, you know, it seems almost like Arteta uh, is playing with intention to go for this silverware. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it obviously represents Arsenal's best hope, best chance. If they win the Champions League, it's automatic guaranteed. Uh, Europa League, squad. yeah. The yeah. Europa League, yeah. So, um, it will be fascinating to see. I I am interested to see how uh, Arsenal line up. Uh, they have been shown on quality, especially at the top. What they need is for the strikers to fire on all, all cylinders uh, against this Villarreal side. So fascinating at Calta. It's evenly tied, uh, evenly matched on paper. Manchester United's best chance of ending a four-year trophy drought comes this season in the form of a Europa League semi-final against Roma. Uh, Roma lost at the weekend. They lost 3-2 to Cagliari at home. In fact, Roma have just slipped out of the Serie A top six. They've been ousted by city rivals Lazio, no less. So it must hurt. And and I understand Chris Smalling was robbed uh, recently in his Rome home. Uh, His his family were all present. Um, But yeah, I mean, all that aside... Uh, Man United, Roma, United fans will have fond memories of of that, that tie... But um, it's, a, it's serious stuff now, Bob. Um, Solskjaer needs a trophy 
to appease all those people still calling him a PE teacher? <laughs> well, I think he maybe to appease them, but I don't think he needs one to keep his job. I think that's um, I think he's safe, isn't he? Uh, even if Ed Woodward does leave, uh, even if there's another manager, um, uh, another CEO coming in and new ideas, I don't think there'll be new owners, unfortunately. Um, well, four billion. So it, uh, apparently, it, it's valued at four billion. How, how much well, do you, you reckon us us four can get together? Well, we could raise a few, Bob, couldn't we? Between us, <laughs> Arvin's good at this kind of thing. God, Arvin, help us. <laughs> yeah. Um, No, I I think United's problem here is that they, on paper, they're the best team left in it. Mm. Um, I mean, the Mars. That brings its own problems, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. They're favourites. They are, I I would say, firm, firm firmish favourites. It's a cup competition, so you never know. But uh, yeah, they should win it. And uh, that, you know, that makes everyone else an underdog. And I think that Arteta probably feels that he has to win it to keep his job. That's that's the difference. Um, I don't think that uh, Unai Emery has has that problem, but uh, yeah, very hard to call uh, Villarreal and Arsenal. Arsenal could do with being fired up like they were in the in the quarterfinal against uh, Slavia Prague. Uh, remember, they weren't expected to win that. And they went there and there was a racist uh, incident in the previous game and the uh, guy was banned and they all lined up uh, the um, Slavia Prague players. And it seemed to really rile Arsenal and they just flew out of the blocks and they were three nil up after about 20 minutes. They need to channel that, don't they? Against They've got to do that. They've got to, you know, yeah. I mean, it's all right, you know, responding to something like that in that way but if if you can play so well like that you've got to be able to repeat it don't expect uh, Villarreal to to oblige in that way I hope they don't but Arsenal need need to find that fire from somewhere and really the the big names you know Alba Mayang I know he's had malaria but his contribution this season, for ever since he signed that contract, it has been negligible, hasn't it? And Willian also. They've relied on their young players and uh, they probably have to rely on their young players again here. Yeah. All right. Both uh, Europa League semifinals, Villarreal, Arsenal and Man United against Roma. Friday, 3 a.m. kickoffs. Uh, that's it. We're out of time. So excellent stuff. Hope you, you, you've you all enjoyed listening to us. I say thanks to Arvind Sidhu. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week ahead. Thanks to Nicholas Arnil. Yes, Ross. And thanks, Bob Holmes. Uh, thanks, everybody. Enjoy the week. Yep. Have a great week. See you on Friday. Bye now. Off the Ball, every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.